Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nejdet Zaturyan. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. In this episode, Nayak Aslikyan, the co-founder and CEO of Armenian Code Academy, provides insights into the Armenian tech industry's talent infrastructure. He explains how the academy prepares individuals for employment in both technical and non-technical roles. We also discuss what is required to create employment opportunities outside of Yerevan and the strategies to encourage various stakeholders to expand into different regions of Armenia. Thank you for listening. Nayak, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for reminding me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. So everybody in town, I think, knows you as uh, the guy who's tirelessly working to develop education opportunities for the tech sector. But uh, tell us how you got into the space. Actually, I like to call it uh, something like talent infrastructure because I'm okay. involved in both education and recruitment and not only. Uh, my background is in human resources. So I studied in Moscow State University and then in higher school of economics in Moscow. My master's degree is uh, about human resources first. So I moved back to Yerevan in 2016. Uh, in 2015, we started already remotely the Armenian Code Academy with my partner Karen Sharafian. Before that, I was mostly into employer branding, graduate recruitment, technical recruitment, and this kind of domains. Okay. Like you were doing that in Russia before moving yeah. to Armenia? Yeah. And then when you moved to Armenia, your first venture was ACA. Yeah. Armenian Code Academy. Tell us what Armenian Code Academy is. Today, Armenian Code Academy is the largest tech educational institution in Armenia. I don't like to call it training center or something like that because we are trying to resolve some uh, market issues. And we're an educational institution from one side, and on the other side, we are the, the ambassador of employers and tech market. So our business decisions and daily operations is mostly influenced by market conditions and employers request first. The needs. Mm, yes. Okay. And not only like what students want to learn and what they are ready to pay for. Mm-hmm. Right. So both sides, like both the supply and the, and the, Correct. the Correct. demand for it. Today you have a huge breadth of a variety of courses, such as from both technical skills, like different programming languages and DevOps, things like that to soft skills like product management, project management, and things of that nature. When you're evaluating what to offer, which stakeholders are you going to first to understand that? Do you guys have close relationships with tech companies in Armenia that you speak to constantly to evaluate that? Yeah, correct. Uh, Product management and product management are hard skills too for us. (laughs) We are just starting our soft skills uh, expertise. And we launched a spin-off project, Leadership in Tech Academy, one year ago. That's about soft skills mostly. Uh, and yeah, we are tightly connected with employers, with leading employers and trendsetters on the tech market uh, to identify gaps mm-hmm. in the education, in the labor market. It's not only about higher education because we do not expect that universities or master's programs will provide such professionals like DevOps professionals or data engineers or are ready to go to the market data scientists and so on. So uh, first, we are analyzing the labor market, what it looks like today. Mm-hmm. And since I'm a co-founder in Mittal, in a recruitment agency, we do have that picture. And then we are talking with uh, different companies, mostly active companies, and they are different from time to time. For example, 
Today we are talking mostly with Armenian banks, or we are talking with relocated companies from Russia and other companies that are actively hiring to identify the gap and start educational programs in advance. We had a very quite a cool case with data engineering uh, a year ago. It's like a nonsense gap on the labor market because we talked with uh, PMI Science, mm-hmm. then we talked with CRISP and with PixArt and noticed that we have database developers, we have cloud engineers, but we don't have data engineers. And there's something in between. Mm-hmm. But database developers and database administrators were paid much lower than data engineers. Right. So we just needed to launch a program. It, its duration was about three months, if I'm not mistaken. And just reprofile them to data engineers mm-hmm. and create a pool of data engineers. And in these kind of projects, we need to popularize the profession first and talk a lot. What is data engineering or what is DevOps? What is data science? If I'm not mistaken, we were the first institution in Armenia that started uh, data science educational programs in 2017. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, companies are the major uh, stakeholders we are talking with to identify gaps. Tell us a little bit about what the programs look like, like from a student's perspective, from a participant's perspective. They are part-time programs with a weekly load, like from uh, six or eight hours to maybe 20 hours. It depends on the program. And I do not include here their own works and uh, self-learning process. It's only in classroom uh, education, yeah. Part of our program, about 50% of our programs are online, fully online, yeah, to make sure we are accessible for people from regions, we're accessible for people with disabilities, and for people who just can't make it into office. Hmm. The other part is at the hybrid or fully offline, our classrooms in Mergilan Institute. In average, 40% of the educational programs are practice-based, uh, practical seminars. You mean 40% of the course or 40% of the courses? Or the given course. Or of the one given course. course. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that, for instance, like you guys had a Python course that's four months, you have a JavaScript course that's six months. Is the target at the end of one of these courses to be job ready for that specific task, like to be ready to take a junior position at, at a company? Yeah. Employment orientation is our main focus. So our program is divided into three parts. First is uh, introduction. Uh, Duration is on average uh, uh, three months. And the so-called learning outcome of the introduction course is the answer to questions. Do I want it? Can I make it in this profession? The second group, of course, is professional-level courses. And the outcome of these courses is the employment. It can be internship, it can be junior position, because it's not so um, structured in our market. So somewhere a junior position can be lower than internship. So an internship can be much more important position for a company than any junior junior position in other companies. Right. And the third group of educational programs are deep dive programs. And here we are targeting uh, current professionals with some background and some experience and working on their uh, upskilling. And these programs were launched mostly one year ago when the crisis started. Crisis, I mean, uh, on the Armenian exchange market and the venture crisis in the United States. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of companies started their layoff programs, a lot of companies froze their uh, hiring, so they didn't have any hiring for for a long time. And we decided that we just can't allow us to produce as many junior 
professionals as we did a year ago. Right, because there weren't enough positions available yeah. for them. Yeah, we can earn more money, but it will lower our employment rate. The employment rate is much more important for us. So we started to produce new programs for current professionals to just help them to upskill. Tell us a little bit about your average demographics of your students. What age group are they in typically that are, or what stage in their careers are they? Are they looking to switch from one field to a new profession? We don't limit the age group, so we don't have any restrictions in the admission process. So even mm. kids can participate? Yeah, but we always tell their parents to take into account that we insist on their higher education. Right. So, uh, not kids, but from schools, school graduates, they can be enrolled to introduction courses to understand do they like it? Mm-hmm. Do they want to go to the computer science departments of the universities or not? Right. It's a good way to sort of give kids a better understanding of what they're signing up for before going to university. Yes, yes. What about the more traditional students that you have? Like, What age group are they typically in? Mostly from 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them have a higher education or they just finishing it. And but in some non-tech field? Not only. The average student of Armenian College Academy is a computer science graduate. Really? Yes. Oh. A computer science graduate, STEM graduate. Hmm. Um, and they just realized that the education they got in the university is not enough to have a job tomorrow. Often they're starting courses at ACA during their education in the fourth grade. Hmm. Interesting. So they graduate with a computer science degree and then would come and do something more specialized, like a six-month JavaScript or something, to find a job in that field. Uh, yeah. That's surprising to me. But yeah. yeah, Duration depends on the uh, specialization. It can be five months. It can be nine months. Right. Yeah. Right. In terms of helping them then later land jobs, is that something ACA is like actively works with them on or is it something that ACA is invested in? We have a team that works with employers and uh, shares uh, CVs of uh, successful graduates. We have some uh, market orientation, market intelligence lessons for graduates to help them to be ready to the market and to the uh, hiring process of different companies. But in general... We don't want to guarantee the employment of our graduates. Yeah, we are into dropping students from the process when we see that they have no chances to get a job during the course because their attendance is not enough or their attitude is not what we are expecting. In general, we notice that the employment rate for students with no assistance in finding jobs is much higher than when uh, we are included in the process. Right. So when we try to help them, uh, they just have external locks of control mm-hmm. and they just realize that someone is responsible for my hiring process and just delegate that. And do not invest enough time from and resources from their side to mm-hmm. get a job. Right, yeah. Having like a guiding hand but not someone that does it for you. Exactly. Is super important, exactly. yeah. Let's speak a little bit about the state of sort of Armenia's, I really like how you put it, talent infrastructure. So right now the market is in a turbulent, still in a bit of a turbulent state, and you can't compare it to like what 2020 was or 2019, I guess, right, in terms of like looking at the needs. But if we were to assume that, you know, the market's going to return to a healthy state in the 
coming future or when it was before this crisis. What were some of the biggest shortcomings of, uh, as you put it, the town infrastructure, like present sort of the shortages and stuff that were, because that's something we, we often heard about. Do you want me to list the professions we have a shortage? Both pro- I'm curious, both from a professions perspective, but also like the ones that we do have, like obviously we have a lot of software engineers, but there was always talk of how there's demand for much more. Like, what do we mean when we say much more? What's the actual gap? We have two gaps. One uh, is about uh, non-technical professions, product management, product design, business development, growth specialists, product marketing, technical recruitment, HR specialists. Sales. Sales, yeah, business development, sales, and other specialists that can drive businesses and make Armenia tech hub of unicorns, but not just technical hub for foreign companies. Mm -hmm. The second gap we have is a maturity gap. (laughs) Mm. So our educational institutions is not mature enough for a 21st century technology hub. Our employers, unfortunately, are not mature enough because not all of them, just a few of them, are investing enough resources and time and focus on internship programs Mm. or hiring uh, junior staff for mentorship and so on. It's just a necessary component for companies with a long-term vision and you can't just hire seniors only, plan to be stable and sustainable for for years. Right, because even if they don't, like maybe the company can say, I don't need the junior today, but they exist within the they as in the company exists within the Yerevan tech ecosystem or the Armenian tech ecosystem, and they're going to need a growing supply of talent to one day like be able to fill all the roles that they're going to have. Right. So, so they yeah. should have a vested interest in in developing that talent. Uh, here, there are two reasons to invest in juniors. First, is the pragmatic view and the rational business decision because. Uh, juniors, our expert shows that the juniors are the most loyal staff. Mm. They are eager to learn. They are ready to invest much more time and efforts into their professional growth. The second thing is, uh, sorry to mention that, but corporate social responsibility. Mm. Because uh, giving an opportunity for juniors to grow is a part of corporate social responsibility, is caring about the community. But even here we can find something business-related because if you are sort of culture fit among junior staff, it's your game. You should just train people, have internship programs to fulfill the market with the right junior talent to hire them afterwards. Right. Yeah, it really is like, I mean, I love that you said the corporate social responsibility part, but even if we were to set that aside, it is still pragmatic to invest in talent within the ecosystem that you operate in. Should be a no-brainer. One thing that you guys started, was it this year or last year, the Leadership in Tech Academy? I find this so fascinating. Oftentimes, what we hear in Armenia is that might have a lot of like engineering talent and stuff, but a lot of people need to then step into these, you know, VP roles or um, C-level roles, and because they don't have that experience, there needs something to sort of bridge them to that, which is, I guess, what you guys are working on at LIT. So tell us a little bit about that initiative. The leader of Lit Academy, Hazed, and we spell it L-I-T. L-I-T yeah. <laughs> it's like Lit Academy Lit. because, ah, okay. because it's Lit. Ah, okay. <laughs> Story of this problem is in um, dual track career development of uh, engineers and lack of dual track possibilities in the companies. And in majority of Armenian companies, engineers were not trained to be good 
people managers. But in the scaling process, they just need to become managers. And they hate it, but they become managers and they become uh, often toxic managers and so on. Lit Academy is one of our spin-off projects. We have also tech school with pre-recorded lessons, much more affordable for Armenians because uh, it's in Armenian. And okay. we have the Tech Education Foundation. Lit Academy's approach quite different and we are mostly focused on discussion-based approach and practice-based approach because our tutors are not tutors. They are mentors. They are facilitating sessions and uh, share their experience because the majority of them are engineering directors and senior engineering managers in uh, Adobe, Disco, ServiceTide, and other companies. These are your your mentors or the participants? The mentors? Men- both mentors and participants right. because we have two flows uh, within Lead Academy, one called Manage Managers, the second one, manage people. Manage people is for future leaders and uh, fresh leaders, people managers. And the second one is for manage managers. It means that they are mostly engineering managers, senior engineering managers, or even founders of tech companies. So, yeah, they're sharing their experience. It's much more effective and productive for learning leadership concepts than uh, listing bullet points of popular models of management. Right. Right, yeah, it's much more like practical and shared experiences, I guess. Yeah, there is no single truth in management. Every company uh, should have their management culture, management style. So the only thing they need to give them is uh, like a possibility to think about it, reflect about issues and find their own solutions. How's the reception to it then from the industry? It's quite challenging for us to attract participants, but everyone who participated, they're very happy with it. Yeah, yeah we already have three batches of students uh, graduated. It seems like of all the things to attract to, there's a bit of like an ego barrier probably to to get across, right? Because you're working with much like higher up people, people who already feel like they're like well-established in their positions or good at their positions and enticing them to participate in something like that might be, more challenging is that the reason yeah besides that there is another reason because uh, within ACA we launched deep dive programs for current professionals product professionals engineers and so on and um, it's not a secret for educational uh, domain in Armenia that people with certain experience they are not willing to pay for education Hmm. they just didn't have such experience and didn't feel the need to pay because their salary is constantly growing. Their employers nowadays are demanding new skills and they're just comfortable with that. Right. Too comfortable. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting The people like you who work in education, for lack of a better word, the education field, the different like cultural things you have to consider when implementing a, a program, right? I want to talk about that a little bit more in a, in soon, but first I want to move out of Yerevan for a second and speak about decentralizing access to tech education in Armenia. So this is something we've spoken about on the podcast in the past with other with some of your colleagues from the industry. It's no secret that most tech opportunities in Armenia are in Yerevan. There's some activity now in Gyumri, maybe some in Vanadzor. Um, there's some initiatives to make uh, to strengthen it in Ijevan now. Um, Goris has at least a 100-person team, I think, now doing QA at Instagate. But in terms of like really having an infrastructure, it's still in the extremely early days, right? And although there are 
education initiatives in the in the regions like Tumo is in a bunch of regions and stuff now. I believe you guys have a presence outside, although you're also online, so it's accessible to people across the country. There needs to be a, a greater infrastructure built out in order for this to actually materialize, right? Because it's one thing to learn Python, but then it's another thing to actually get a job using Python in your city, in your hometown or village. Tell us a little bit about how you evaluate the current state of things first, and then what some of the initiatives that ACA has embarked on to improve the state of things. We launched our office, so-called office, because it's not a physical place. We are cooperating with Panadzor State University. Their management are very good and with good intentional professionals, and we just partnered with them. We started several educational programs in Vanadzor and Ijevan. In Vanadzor, it was, if I'm not mistaken, introduction to Python and JavaScript courses, and some other courses were started as well. In Ijevan, we had an internship program with Digital Wave, almost the only tech company in Ijevan. Mm-hmm. when they started that. Was it an outsourcing company? Yeah. Let's try to list some statements and try to understand why uh, the current state is so terrible. Companies in Yerevan are for profit. They're thinking about their metrics and goals first. Second, on average, they're not hiring junior engineers. Mm-hmm. Or even if they do, they need seniors in the same location to mentor them. Product companies in Armenia and branches of global companies, mostly in Yerevan. And they don't have any motivation to launch their branches in regions where they won't find any senior engineers there, but they can find some juniors. Educational programs in regions mostly are free. We started our programs there with some scholarships. First, we started with 30% scholarships, but then we launched the fundraising program to make it fully free because we just can't popularize tech education enough in Vanazor to attract enough students, applicants to our programs. Right. And now it's fully free. It's not even close to the some kind of solution of decentralization because we should find some stakeholders here who are interested in it, have the power, and can uh, be a trendsetter. It can be a campaign among employers, but it can be also incentive Mm. for companies. For example, if you're a tech company based in Yerevan, if you have 30% of your staff located in Armenian regions, you can just not pay their income tax, for example. For some period of time. For some period of time for people who are working from regions, etc., but like regions, regions, not like Ashtayak or something. Yeah. It seems like a loophole. Yeah, it's all about details. And yeah, about for sure. I'm, I'm fraud, fraud workarounds yeah. and so on. Right. <laughs> but, but Armenian Code Academy or and Armenian Code Academy is a for-profit organization as well. So yeah, in this stage, we just need to understand are we a for-profit for organization or we are focusing on social uh, enterprises and social uh, projects and f- forget about our sustainability, independence, flexibility, and so on. And we're starting just like right. a typical NGO with external funding. Mm-hmm. And all our efforts are going to decentralization of Armenian right. attack. The tax incentive idea is super interesting. Is that something you guys have discussed with the government before? Or is it something you guys are actively working on lobbying for? I had a lot of meetings with uh, different ministries, not only around this topic, but the worst thing you can say to a government representative is tax incentive. 
Hmm. <laughs> they don't like it at all. Then it touches their bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> the government. Yeah. For example, even for Armenian Code Academy, we are a private institution, an informal educational institution, and companies like us in other countries like Singapore, Kazakhstan, or even Russia mm-hmm. have a range of tax incentives have a range of support from government, have a range of uh, opportunities to provide services to boost the economy. But in Armenia, we're just a regular business with a very heavy uh, tax load. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. For sure, yeah. Setting up that system in the right way is something that they should be thinking about more. Let's say even if the tax incentives weren't in place, Yerevan tech salaries, especially like for this region, are quite high. It could still make sense that just from a labor cost perspective, obviously like a a salary for someone in Banazor would be cheaper than in Yerevan. From that perspective, do you think it could be enticing enough to some of the bigger tech companies in Armenia, like the Digitains of the world, people that, ones that have like thousand plus person staffs to have offices in Gyumri, Vanadzor. Yeah, in terms of uh, at least five years planning, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, in terms of uh, one or three years planning, it doesn't make any sense because the only way to have senior professionals in Vanadzor or in Sisian mm-hmm. or in Sevan or somewhere else is to find senior professionals in Yerevan who are from Sisian, from Sevan, or from Wanazor, and motivate them to uh, move back to their hometown. For some period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here the salary cannot be changed. Right, right. Does remote make anything easier? For example, like if you were to hire a junior remote worker in Sisian, and the senior, the person whose team they're on is in Yerevan. Is that too challenging given the junior-senior relationship? Or? It's too challenging. I'd say that it's highly recommended to, to be in person. mentor in person at the same location or at least to have that mentor for at least for a week yeah. uh, in a month. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Let's get back to education a bit more more generally. So you guys are would be called like a non-traditional education. Uh, yeah, no formal. Sorry, not formal, yeah. non formal uh, education provider, I guess. When thinking about the future of access to tech education in Armenia, how do you see this sort of clash between, I don't even know if clash is the right word, but the parallelism between formal education, our computer science faculties, and our other STEM faculties, and initiatives such as ACA, such as Armenian Code Academy? Do you think one has the opportunity to strengthen the other, or are they just for two separate populations? Fundamentally. I'll bring some numbers here. First of all, we are not competitors right. anything with universities. Numbers are following. We had uh, around 18,000 uh, applicants last year. To ACA? Yes. Wow. 18,000 at ACA, and we had 12,000 applicants, if I'm not mistaken, in all the Armenian universities combined. I mean, it's a very sad statistics because... The higher education is not so trusted and popular now. I don't think that means that uh, we should close this chapter course, and yeah. think about the next format of education, but we should organize something of a higher quality. We already think about it, and we're starting licensing process for some master's programs. I mean, that ACA I mean, would offer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you see, we'll provide some master's programs. We want it to be backed by employers. Hmm. I mean, it, it should not be like a traditional master's program have already in 
some of our universities and some of them are just great mm -hmm. for example we don't want to start with our core competence with machine learning because we know that some of the universities already have uh, that programs but we don't have anything related to cloud engineering right we don't have anything related to product management mm -hmm. or to tech entrepreneurship right and that can be the, the thing we will start with so that you would identify these gaps within the current academic institutions and try to fill them besides that uh, these uh, are the directions with t-shaped competence necessity mm -hmm. i mean to be tech entrepreneur you need to know something from product management something from finances something from human resources your generalist from yeah. tech for non-tech and so on and so on the same is for cloud engineering the same was for product manager itself right right we were on a panel together at digitech in march and so was dr papazian mary mm -hmm. papazian and she said something really interesting the way she worded it she said that non-formal education organizations like you guys don't have a lot of the baggage that traditional educational institutions have meaning like you guys have a lot more freedom and luxuries to try new things, right? One of the things that has become popularized in the last like five, six, maybe seven years is the idea of uh, an ISA, an income sharing agreement. It's quite popular now in the US with at least one organization, what do they call it now, Bloom University, I think, which provides an ISA for those who don't know is their participants, they go participate through the Bloom program, learn some professions such as software engineering, they don't pay anything up front. And then when they graduate, the bloom takes a certain percentage of their income for two years or something like that. And it incentivizes the education provider to make sure that that person gets a job because otherwise they don't get paid, right? I think this is something you guys have experimented with a little bit in the past as well. Can you tell us a little bit what your experience was like and whether or not this is a model that's promising? Sure, sure. Have you heard about uh, the bloom tech history? I know a little bit of it, uh, but because ISAs are such a contentious topic, it's hard to know which side to really believe in the... Yeah, as I know, he started with Lambda School. So that, the that first was the name, name was Lambda School. Right. Yeah. yeah, and after some cases, some court cases and uh, complaints from graduates, they decided to rebrand them because they uh, were always announcing that their employment rate is about 70%. In fact, the employment rate was about 30%. Hmm. So they were inflating the, the numbers? Yeah. I don't know if it's the truth or not, but it seems like it can be truth because in Armenia we experimented with uh, ISA. We did it in completely other way because we are still social. <laughs> we just tried to be more social than Lambda School. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, we didn't attract any financial institution to collect debts. You are not paying to Lambda School. You are paying to financial institution Lambda School is working w with. Mm -hmm. And they are quite strict. Even if you are uh, an Uber driver after the uh, Bloom Tech, after the Lambda, Lambda School, they still were trying to charge uh, the amount for your education. For us, it, it can't be the case. Uh, we designed a more soft contract with, uh, I see. Right. with fewer obligations. We even designed a contract for 48 months hmm. uh, for the case of possible army for our graduates. Right, if they're Just conscripted. Take, yeah, to, giving them a chance to uh, get back from army and start a career then. Right. We had a very... A huge number of fraud cases. Hmm. We started with four months guarantee of employment 
after the graduation and uh, it turns that it's not enough because a lot of graduates decided to wait wait just for four months and be employed after it to not pay for their education some of them asked their employers to not register them oh wow officially for several months and so on it's, it's not a common case of course we had a very huge number, around 70% of our graduates were employed and are paying for their education. We are still not close to break even if we we compare with our investment in the ISA model programs. But overall, I think it was a success. Overall, I think it was a success in terms of number of new professionals uh, entered the market. But we have a very long list of questions, what we should change in this program to start it again. So is my understanding correct? Bloomtech, they worked with financial institutions to be able to track like when that person got a job, like paychecks were coming and all that. Because you guys didn't, you weren't able to enforce it essentially as easily. I see. To be honest, I thought the problems with, with ISA in Armenia would be like a lack of trust of like the other way around, like students thinking like, what's the catch here? Like, why is it free? Um, or why would I pay a percentage of my income and stuff? I didn't think it would be things like like fraud and, and things like that. We had a very connected community. And uh, <laughs> right. uh, when someone finds a way to fraud, <laughs> they, everybody else finds out. Yeah, yeah they share their... Uh, Best practice, let's call it. <laughs> That's depressing to hear, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but overall, you think ISAs could work if there were mechanisms in place to... Yeah, I say could work, could work, and we are um, just redesigning that. We won't call it income share agreement. We have programs of guaranteed employment even now. We don't call it boot camps, we don't call it ISA. Uh, they just paid the, for their education on a monthly basis. Uh, but we guarantee their employment if they graduated successfully. And if, if they not, don't get a job, yeah, they just uh, you refund them or we we reimburse the amount. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Our last question to every guest is where they hope to see the initiative they're working on in five to ten years. But for you, I'm curious from a more broad perspective. Again, I really like this word you used, talent infrastructure. Where do you hope to see Armenia's talent infrastructure mature to in the near future? What should our next step be? our next target to reach? The next step for Armenian talent infrastructure is multicultural talent platforms when we can, and I call it, utilize the potential of relocated people, when we can uh, utilize the potential of our diaspora and not just headhunt people from diaspora or just find so-called low-hanging fruits, people who want to get back from the U.S., from Europe or somewhere else and just hope that they will have some impact in Armenia, but create some win-win opportunities in the collaboration of Armenian tech and uh, diaspora representatives, give them something in return, and uh, create something that Armenia can provide to expats, what other countries cannot. It can be security related. When we started IT is Armenia in 2018 with my uh, colleagues, it was an initiative to relocate exports from abroad to Armenia mm-hmm. in the specializations we urgently needed, like deep learning, product management, and so on. We decided to not sell Armenia itself because Armenia is not competitive in terms of natural things. Yeah, we are quite comfortable for living 
countries uh, have mountains too, right. sun and food, and New Zealand is quite secure as well, right. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Much more secure, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are not competitive, but Pixar has one billion downloads, and it's much more attractive for tech guy to relocate to Armenia to work for Pixar. Uh, rather than to see the mountains, eat hush, yeah. right yeah. <laughs> on the mountain. On the mountains, of course. <laughs> All right, I'll ask one last question. So we're now approaching about eighteen months since we had a large wave of Russian immigration to Armenia uh, because of the war in Ukraine. A lot of tech companies have moved here, like from Russia, and tens of thousands of Russians themselves. A lot of them are tech workers. Do you think we've utilized that talent for our sector? well or is it kind of two parallel sectors within our country working they have their own meetups in russian they have their communities we failed on the integration of course their hiring strategy is mostly focused on hiring relocated specialists three months ago we created a platform for collaboration of leaders of relocated companies with armenian government with armenian companies with other talent infrastructure, stakeholders, let's call them, like recruitment agencies or job boards or UAT and so on. And we collected, uh, attracted all of them in one place, like leaders of Yandex, Avito, Tinkoff, Boston Gene Align, Criteo, and a range of other companies that are represented in Armenia and no one heard about them. We're trying to have our uh, impact there. Of course, it's interesting for us also to attract some corporate partners for the Armenian Code Academy, but it's quite ridiculous that no one created that platform before. Right, yeah. But it's not too late, you think? It can still be... It's not too late because... They're still here. The largest companies already decided to establish their hub in Yerevan. So companies like Yandex, Tinkoff, NVIDIA, and Miro. so on, Miro. Yeah. Uh, some of their uh, employees left Armenia to other locations, but most of them decided to establish here and start their hiring as well. Yeah, that's a resource that we should make sure that we tap into and utilize before, uh, yeah, of course. before it's too late. Yeah. And we uh, should keep in mind that companies that are relocated to Armenia are very mindful and uh, some of them, like Align Technology or Criteo, started internship programs with Armenian Code Academy. Mm-hmm. Before starting seniors here, they started their internship programs. It was a use case I'd never seen from Armenian companies or global companies that mm-hmm. moved to Armenia before. Yeah, that's fantastic. Eric thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, too.